deep dive called the faith. Here we go. You know, I like the, I like the idea of this this new series that we're starting. It's it's actually going to feel a little bit like the promises of God, except a little a little deeper. Hopefully, that you'll get this because we're calling this a deep dive because God wants to transform our lives. I have no doubt that you and I are going to go into this, and God's going to do a just a, a transformational work in us. The you know, scripture says in, in Psalms 107, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. See, if you've ever been deep underwater, then you see wonders that a lot of people don't see. You know, when you go into the Hood Canal, for example, and you go down 100 feet, less than 1% of the population will see what you would see. And it is absolutely a wonder. And that is what God wants us to see as we go 100 feet in the Word of God. Because a lot of us tend to swim on the surface. We might kind of dive down a little bit, maybe 10, 15 feet. But God's saying, let's go 100 feet. Because there are things that you have not experienced and things you have not seen. And I want you to hear me. It's safe. There's no sharks that are going to get you. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) And by going deep, you're going to know God. You're going to learn to know the Lord. You're going to learn to understand the Holy Spirit more. We're going to get there. You know, we're going to understand that we have all been called, E-D, called to faith. It says in 1 Corinthians, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Called to faith. You're called to have power. And then Hebrews 11, 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Let's read that together. And without faith... Okay, wait, let me. Ah, Okay, I stopped because only three of you were reading it. Okay, so it's up there, right? You can read it. Okay, that means we all vocalize together. I want to hear this. Ready? Begin. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Nice job. You can do it. All right. So that is a powerful call to faith. Because we, I don't know about you, but I want to please God. And what that tells me, I, I can't do that without faith. And so this is why we're called to faith, because it all connects to who our God is. Today we're going to talk about our Heavenly Father. We're going to talk about something that is so important. And I, I would like to walk through a number of characteristics. It's like there's so much in the Word of God I mean, I I would have liked to spend the whole day with you because it would take the whole day plus a whole bunch more. But we're going to give you some deep understanding. And then you're going to keep going deep because if you're following along, then every day there's going to be more information. You know, I've been looking at this and, and, and processing this and thinking about Jesus chose 12 men to be his first disciples, right? 12 followers. And they followed him for three plus years, three and a half years, something like that. And they watched him. And you know what? Can you imagine? I mean, I know Jesus is with us all the time, right? Can you say amen to that? But can you imagine incarnate Jesus? 
So it's like he's right there, you know, in human form as well as in his divinity. And you're watching all these. He's healing people in front of you. He's calming. I mean, he speaks to the weather, and he calms the weather. He, he takes one little kid's lunch and feeds 5,000 people, and you're, wa- and you're handing it out, and you're a part of that. He did all kinds of miracles and healings. I mean, he raised dead people and brought them back to life. Right, we've experienced a little bit of that here in, in the life of our church. And we kind of go, wow, he was powerful. Now, I was reading and looking at what were some of the things that the disciples asked of Jesus. You know, they never asked him for stuff. I mean, he's right there. God, I, I need a new house. He never asked him for that. I, I was thinking that they never, he never, they never asked us, would you show us how to make more money? Or would you show us how to be successful? Uh, you know, would you show us how to feed 5,000 people with one lunch? Right? These are pretty exciting things. God, we want to do miracles. Would you show us specifically how it is we can do miracles? They never even asked him, God, how, would you show us how we could control the weather? Because we live in the Northwest. Can you imagine if you could control the weather living where we live? Oh, my goodness, that would be amazing. They didn't ask him for that stuff, did they? In all the things that you can scan and look at in the Word of God, they asked Jesus to teach them one thing. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Lord, teach us to pray. So if you could ask God anything, would that be what you ask God to do? Now, I know some of you are really, you know, you've been around long enough, you'd say, well, of course I would. But really, would you? I mean, think about it. As you look at yourself, I mean, I don't know that I would have said, teach me how to pray. I mean, when it comes to prayer, I mean, that's not the, I mean, right, isn't it interesting that they focused on prayer, and what is probably one of the toughest things for people in church to do? Pray. Call up, you know, if you want to have a small group meeting, call a prayer meeting. You know, three people will show up. I mean, it's hard to get people to come and pray with you because somehow, and you know, it's, it's challenging because somehow we're, uh, I think we're afraid of it or we're uncertain about it, all kinds of things. Jesus said, so here's the deal, when you pray, begin, critical. So first thing out of the gate, he says, begin by saying this, our Father in heaven. Powerful, powerful statement. Now, I could talk about prayer, but I want you to see the things that Jesus teaches us as he instructs his disciples, he instructs us through the word, because what he says is so critical. Here, let me say this. Here's what I've learned personally. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And I think about the life of the church, I think about our lives, and some of us are hungry for the power, just like we just read, uh, the idea that the power of God to be in our life. Well, in order for that to happen, prayer is a critical, essential part in order for that to connect and happen. See, sometimes you might wonder, why isn't God doing more? Well, maybe because you're not praying more. 
more power, say it with me, I'm sorry, more prayer, more power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. I'll let you decide. What a revolutionary statement. When Jesus said what he did, he only said it twice. Matter of fact, it appears in Luke and Matthew. He might have said it more often, but in terms of its appearance in Luke, uh, in the Bible, it was in Luke and Matthew. The statement, our Father, kind of like, boom. It's like Jesus, okay, let's go 100 feet. Because how do we pray? Well, you pray to our Father. You've got to realize that had not been stated. The concept of Father is not like a big topic throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, you think of all the names of God and all the things that are from Genesis to Revelation, there's, there's a ton of expressions. But the expression, even in the Old Testament, of our Father is not as much as you would think. And then in the New Testament, our Father all of a sudden pops up because Jesus is teaching us, because he says, if you're going to understand prayer, you need to understand who our Father is. And that's why he does that. Because what he says is critical. Because if you get it, if you pray to our Father and understand who our Father is, then your communication with God is going to change. Because you're praying to your Father. Your heart will change. Your understanding and relationship with God will change. You start learning and understanding who our Father is in your life, it is going to be amazing and transformational in your life. Now, here's some things that I've learned that I want to share with you about our Father. Not necessarily in order of priority, but they're all important. And let me also add for some of you theologians here, I'm not going to say it all this morning. Can you say amen to that? I'm glad only two of you are in agreement, so the rest of us, we're going to stay. (laughs) Our Father is for us 100%. Say that with me. Our Father is for us 100%. Isn't that great? When you begin, that's what Jesus was teaching. That's what you you and I need to learn. There's always grace. James 4, 6 tells us that. You know, it's interesting that when he was addressing this around the subject of prayer and communication with God, he's saying, listen, you guys need to understand something. When you start talking to God, don't worry about your talk. Because God is for us 100%. See, here's the thing about when you're talking to God. This is maybe one of the reasons why we struggle. Don't worry about the words you use or don't use. It really is because our Father is so for us. He's more about, obviously, our heart attitude, our relationship commitment. You know, I love the fact that you don't have to wordsmith your prayer. Man, there are some people who just write amazing prayers. I've read them, studied them. I thought, oh, I am so thankful. God said, listen, I'm for you 100%. Relax. Just talk to me. That's the kind of relationship that we get to have. And here's the thing that is so encouraging. I I learned this a long time ago. It doesn't matter what you pray for. Well, I got to pray according to God's will. Absolutely, but don't worry about it. Because here's the thing, if you don't pray for something according to God's will, God's not going to give it to you. So you can talk all day long and say, God, I want X, Y, Z. And God says, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, not happening. (laughs) 
And so we worry about what we're, it's, and some people don't pray because they're worried that I might pray the wrong thing. You might pray the wrong thing, but God's not going to do anything with it. So you're safe to say whatever you need to say, and you and I can relax because that is who our Father is. He says, just talk to me. Let's you and I have this relationship, and let's not worry about whether you're on target or whether you've said the right thing. I mean, just come up and tell me what you want. It's like my grandkids. They do not write out before they come and ask me for something. Oh, I wish they would. But they just come up. Say, Grandpa, I want eggs. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, and I just, sometimes I'll say something clever like, well, ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Always teaching your kids, right? The point is, whether they're two years old or they're 11 years old, which is the current span of my kid, grandkids, they just come up and they just say, hey, here's, they just talk. And I've encouraged them to talk. I, they don't need to wordsmith their requests to their grandfather. My children never did that to their dad. You know, it's interesting that um, God wants you and I to really be on other focused because I'm all about them. I don't need them to be about me. And that's so important that you and I get that with our father. You know, I, I was reading, and I'm going to bring this up later, but you, you guys remember the story of Job? Right? You guys, you're nodding. You know the story, right? Job, you know Job was the richest guy on the planet in the beginning of his story, and then you get to, to the you know, next chapter, and he's not. He loses everything, right? Loses his business, loses his family. I mean, he gets sick, his, loses his crops, his home, his health. Everything has a terrible disease. And you read the story, the whole process of God just working in Job because, you know, and Satan had asked, I want to test him to see, you know, has Job really got his act together, whatever. And I want you to know Job didn't really have his whole act together. And here's how I know this. Because something happened towards the end and in Job 42, verse 10, it says, After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Now, can you say amen to that? How many of you kind of focus in on and gave him twice as much as before? I look at that and I go, amen. I mean, he deserved double everything he went through. But I want you to notice something in the beginning. Because it says, and there's a word there you should circle after Job prayed for his friends, the word after. See, there's something that happened that was transitional and transformational for Job because he didn't get restoration till he prayed for his friends. I'm convinced Job had to learn the lesson that others were more important than himself. And he went through that whole journey for all sudden the revelation had come out, and he said, okay, I'm going to pray for my friends. And then the Lord said, let me restore everything back to you. Some of you may not have the restoration you hope for because you are still too focused on yourself. Your prayer is too focused on self. Rather than letting go of those things and praying for other people. Do you want a breakthrough in your life? Then pray for other people. That's good. Well, wait, I'm supposed to pray for my breakthrough. Pray for other people. Because my understanding is God's for you 100%. He'll take care of you. 
Oh, wait, now I've got to trust God. See, I've got to let God know what I need because he might not know what I need. Right? God, let me clue you in on what's going on in my life just in case you're not up on, you haven't looked at Facebook for a while, you may not know my life. So let me, let me make sure that I you know, get you posted about what's going on. Listen, our Father, by this teaching, and as we go a little deeper, he's just personal. When I first came to know Jesus, that was so important to me that I was giving my life over to a Lord and Savior who was personal and knew me. That this wasn't some psychological and philosophical and, you know, he wasn't some unfeeling force. He wasn't a disengaged creator. But I learned early on that when I talk to my Father in heaven, it's personal. And it's a two-way street. And that's why the word father is being used here. And it was, again, not used very often, but it, it stands out. Because whenever God says something just a couple times, that actually doesn't say it's not important. It actually makes it stand out more. Because when you understand the hermeneutics of the study of the Word of God. And so when we turn to our Father... And I, that was a, when Jesus brought that, that became a, a favorite term. He used, he used the word Father about God over 65 times in the New Testament. Again, when you look back through the entirety and until Jesus came on the scene, it wasn't used that much. God was not expressed as a Father very often for a lot of different reasons. But I think it's noteworthy that you and I, as we go deep and understand Guess who chose the name Father? God did. He chose his own name. He chose a name that he wanted us to connect with. Because I believe there's something of really a a simplification, if you will, a a new openness. I was talking to Pastor Jana, and she used a word I love. I'm gonna I'm stealing from her. Vulnerable a vulnerability that our Father speaks to a new vulnerable relationship that he has with us, we have with him, that was, again, it transforms you when you realize he's vulnerable with us. Can you see into that? He's reachable. He's personal, and he chose his name to help you because there's a lot of things we could say about our Father, but you think about all the names that are used to describe God, he said, let me just kind of bring it down to this statement. Let me be your father. Can you say something of that? A name's important in Scripture. Names are chosen very carefully. You know, we were all given a name by our parents, right? I was given a name. Stephen Mark Wexler. And when I heard my parents call me, and they wanted something from me, I heard Stephen Mark Wexler. That way, I knew it was time to come in. (laughs) Stephen Mark Wexler. So I told my mom and dad, can we just shorten my name? Let's just go with Steve. (laughs) It didn't work. Our Father, Scripture tells us, is unbelievably approachable and available. Another term that we go a little deeper now, 
So we talked about our Father. Let's go a little deeper, right? So we're getting down into the depth of the water here. He is also Abba. Say that with me. Abba. Oh, say it again. Abba. That sounds good. It just kind of flows right out, out of your mouth. What a, an amazing term. He's Abba, Father. Again, it's found in the New Testament only three times. It's, you'll, you'll find it, I noted up there in, in uh, Mark and Romans and, and Galatians. And it's used by Jesus. Jesus says, let's go a little deeper, guys. And when you talk to our Father, you can also call him Abba. Abba, Father. Now, if you grow up in the Middle East, Abba is a common name for Father. In the Greek, the actual translation is Patier, which has to do with the, the word Father. Abba is a, it's a term of endearment. Again, vulnerability. It's of love. It's, it's a close kind of thing where you have a relationship with Abba. What, it will translate. And a lot of, if you look it up, it'll translate. Abba translate Papa. Or it could be even Daddy. Now that is a correct translation. That's more of a 21st century thing. There's a danger to that. Because when you say the words to God and cry out, because Abba has a little different meaning than Papa or Daddy, but we want to translate it into English. Here's my concern that I want you to think about, is that if we call them Papa and Daddy, if it isn't done with respect, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So if you're going to call God, some people like that, I'm going to, call, I'm going to pray to my Papa. Well, you can do that. But make sure you do it with all respect. Because Abba, although it is in a term of endearment, it also maintains the respect to the one you're calling Abba. It's important to recognize, because if you mistranslate this and bring it down to something, because you've got to remember something, you're still talking to the creator of all things. You're talking about the one who revealed all mysteries to us, and he judges all things. He is the Lord Most High. He is the great King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you better be real careful if you approach him and say, Hey, Daddy, without it being something of a genuine, heartfelt endearment, then you're okay. Does that make sense? I, I, I have studied this, and I get it, and this is my concern because I love the word Abba. But because of our 21st century meaning, you know, Papa or Daddy, that, that's something a little different. Because I want you to know something. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is unlike any other Father on earth. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about fathers because we, we could do a right turn here. Because one of the, hey, some of us struggle with the word Father. I know it. I get it. 100%. I was fortunate and blessed. I have a really good father. I grew, up, I grew up with basically my best friend, still my best friend. Lois's dad, he became also my best friend and was her, I mean, he was an amazing man of God. I totally get that. Be, and, and that's an amazing experience. Some of us didn't have that. I understand. Now, I, again, I'm not going to, I want you to see who our Heavenly Father is more than maybe the experiences that you might have had with your earthly father. Because here's something that I know. I'll speak about myself. I'm a dad, and I'm a grandfather, and I am flawed and imperfect. And I know that. I, I, there's just 
it's who I am. I make mistakes. I don't do everything just right. But here's what I know about my Heavenly Father. He's absolutely perfect. Here's what I know. He never loves me conditionally. It's unconditional. What I love about the fact is that he never loves me one day and not the next. Man, he's, he loves me every day the same. Because sometimes there are people in my life that don't always love me the same. And so there's a difference. He's not inconsistent. He doesn't play games, and he's 100% for us. So he's unlike any father on earth. He gets us. He really gets you. So what kind of father is God? As we continue to look at that, I want you to see who he is and how much he knows us. And he see- I learned that he really does see us. That's important to me. It's important to be seen. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, uh, every now and then I feel invisible. You know, I, some of you ever feel invisible to the world around you or you go someplace to a meeting or something and you can feel invisible. I'm so thankful that with God I'm never invisible. Matter of fact, he knows me so well, he knows the number of hairs on my head. No, that's what Scripture says, Luke, Luke 12, 7. It's just my head, my, the hairs on my head are easy to count. <laughs> God says, you don't have any. <laughs> God knows me. <laughs> All right. In Matthew chapter 7, turn there with me, would you? I'd like you to follow along in verse 7. It's really critical because here is the promise that our Father gives to us. And in this passage, you can understand so much about our Father. And that's why I'm bringing this to you. I want you to see some things here. So Matthew 7, starting at verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. A lot of times we see this as something related to prayer, which it does you know, about conversation with God. I want you to see this in terms of our hermeneutic here today, in terms of understanding who our Father is. Because we learn a lot about Him. He says, here's these verbs. These are keep on asking, I-N-G, seeking, I-N-G, knocking, I-N-G. The idea they're present participles. And He's telling, listen, with our relationship, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Because he cares about us. Listen, if I told you, one of you, I said, okay, if you just go down, Dan, I want you to go down the house. You know, there's a house just right next door here. And if you knock on that door, and when that door opens, there will be a million dollars there for you. (laughs) Exactly. He'd be on his way. Now, if you were knocking on the door and no one opened it, we just walk away? Because I'm guaranteeing you a million dollars behind that door. It has to open, though. Daniel would knock on that door and knock on that. He'd go to the back door, knock on the door. He'd be pounding on the windows. He'd be trying to find some way in. 
He'd be going through the basement if he had to. He would get in there because he knows there's a million dollars waiting. You've got something so much more waiting for you by asking, seeking, and knocking after God. Because he promises to listen and answer us. Did you happen to notice it says ask, it says uh, seek, and knock. If you take the first letter of each one of those verbs, it spells ask. This is the principle of ask. Ask God, seek God, knock for God. Can you see a minute of that? And the thing is, is that it makes a difference. The closer you get to God, the more the proximity makes a difference in your relationship and in our lives. The closer you get to God, the better life is. The closer you get to God, the better it is. The farther you get away, it's kind of like that idea, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. Get a long way away from God. Well, that's, that's a long way away. You're in trouble. But the closer you get to God, the better it is. And so the word is saying, come to me. I really want you to come to me. I want you to ask me. I want you to seek. That's who I am. I'm your father. Don't be afraid. Come, step up. I told you I would give you at least one grandfather story a Sunday. The other day, I had our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter with us. She has my heart. She's amazing. She's almost perfect. When she's sleeping. <laughs> so the other day I'm in my bedroom. I shut the door, lock the door, because I'm getting ready, changing my clothes, because we're going we're gonna to go to the park and play and whatnot. And my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter comes up to the door, and she starts asking for me, Grandpa! Grandpa! I'll be there in a minute. Changing my clothes. Grandpa. Okay, I'll be there in a minute. Hold on. Grandpa. That's all she says, my name, and she's knocking like... And then I said, hold on, I'll be there in a minute. Now, she kneels down on the floor, and you know the crack where the door is? Somehow she gets her mouth in there. And I hear, Grandpa! And, and I look, and there's this hand trying to fish around there on the floor, trying to get in. Do you think I slowed down or hurried up? Well, I hurried up, and I opened that door, and she gave me the biggest hug because she was really waiting for me to open that door. And then, and then after I hugged her, then she just took over and just started looking everywhere and just said, this is, I've never been in this room. Let's go see what's here. <laughs> You see, God wants you to know that, get close to me. Ask, seek, knock. Our, our Father promises us the very best. Verse 9, it says, for example, if your child asked you for some bread to eat, would any of you fathers give her a stone instead? Now, that's a rhetorical question. The answer, if you don't know, is obviously not. Verse 10. 
Or if your child asked you for some fish, would you put a snake on their plate? Of course not. Who would, what father would do that? That would be terrible. Now you're thinking, this doesn't even make sense. Well, if you make bread, this makes sense. For those of you that are bread makers at the time when they made bread and the way, you know, the way a loaf of bread looked like at that time, it kind of looks, like looks like a rock, like a, like a cool-looking stone. You know, so it, you, know, you could fool a child and say, you know, they ask for bread and you give them you know, this cool-looking stone, and you know, they, but we wouldn't do that. But that's the idea behind it. There's a little bit of humor in this scripture, right? It's like, but there's also a message here. The same thing about, so, you know, if your child wants some fish, you wouldn't put a, and you're going, couldn't a kid tell the difference between a snake and a fish? Well, you see, what you might not know in the Middle East at that time, they had what was called snake fish. And so it looks like a fish, but it's actually a snake. Is that crazy? And who would do that to a child, that you would take a snake fish when they're asking for salmon? So the point of this is our Father will never give us anything that is unhelpful. Because if you ask for bread, he's going to give you bread. He's going to give you what is helpful for your life. You know, if a child comes in, a grandchild comes in and says, I'm hungry, of course we're going to help them. I mean, who wouldn't? And that's what it says. And the fact is that God would never give us anything that's unhelpful. Now, I want you to think about that. Let's go a little deeper. Here's why I think this is important. Because when you are talking to God, you don't have to censor your prayers. Think about that. When you're talking to our Father, our Heavenly Father, you don't have to worry about censoring it. God wants it raw and He wants it real. It doesn't matter what you pray for. Because our Father in Heaven is never going to give you anything that's not good for you. So if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. It's not happening. That's our Father. Now you can translate it to anything else that you want, but we already know he's not going to give you and I anything that is not helpful. Now you might think it's helpful, and God might disagree with you. Now that's when you're in trouble. Because you say, God, this would be really helpful if I had this brand new Mercedes car. And God says, that wouldn't be helpful for you. I'm going to give you a Ford Pinto instead. (laughs) Well, God, you might as well have given me a stone. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? The other thing is God will never give you anything that's harmful. Because that's the point of it. Would he put a, yes for a fish? Would he put a snake on there? Of course not. But the point is, our Father will never give you anything that's harmful. See, he's dependable. That's what we have in this. I mean, if, it's, I still, I will never forget the time that one of my sons came up to me at four years of age and says, Dad, could I have the keys to the car? I said, Why? I've got places to go. (laughs) I said, no. 
That might be harmful. We've got to wait till you're at least five. <laughs> so do you hear who our, God, our Father is? He will never provide something in your life that isn't helpful. He will never give you something that's harmful. He'll help you, and he will only do what's good for you. Because it tells us that, it reaffirms that in verse 11. Since even you, as a sinful, imperfect parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your good and perfect Father in heaven give only gifts that are good to those who ask him? Can you say amen to that? You ask him, he has good things for you. You know, one of the greatest gifts, he says, I have the Holy Spirit gifts for you. I've got good gifts for you that will help you. And he's teaching us that if human beings who are evil and who are deceitful, who don't have great hearts, would not think of giving a child a stone that looked like a piece of bread or a a dangerous snake that looks like a fish, then how much more will a holy God be kind And listen to this, who created kindness. God created kindness, and he is going to be kind. Our Heavenly Father only has what's best for us. Let's look at verse 12 and finish. So in every situation, always do to others what you would want them to do for you. This sums up all the commands and teachings in the Bible. Now, when I'm reading from my Bible, um, it is interesting because in this passage in Matthew, I actually have a division in the, in, the, in the Scripture there between 11 and 12. It says the golden rule. As if somehow, see, it, you'll miss this. It looks like it's a separate thought and idea. Matter of fact, a lot of people have, in my discussion about Scripture, will say, well, that's a separate idea. See, you're wrong. Verse 12 is attached to verse 11, 10, 9, 8, and 7. Because verse 12 is about prayer. So, in every situation, always do to others what you want them to do for you. In every prayer, do to others what you would want them to do for you. In every prayer, pray for others what you want them to pray for you. That's what it's teaching us. So when you pray, pray what you would want them to pray for you. Can you say amen to that? That just changes everything. Because, and it says, this sums up all the commands and teachings in the Bible. Our Heavenly Father wants to give to others what we want to get from God. I mean, a lot of people know the golden rule, but they don't realize that this is a powerful connection to prayer. They have no idea how powerful this is. And so, once again, our Heavenly Father says, I'm all about you. Would you be all about others? Because That's how you live your life. And he says, let me sum up everything that we're talking about. It's not about you. It's about other people around you. And when you start praying for others 
in the way that you would hope they would pray for you, everything changes. Transformation will take place. And now you're getting what God's trying to teach us about who he is as our Father. Can you say amen to that? 